We've also got a lot of experience over the course of time trying smaller, more employer wellness type solutions uh, and that are really pharmacist led and help show evidence that we can manage and improve the health of populations within chronic disease state management. So I think that this program is a nice way to really just make it real that we can receive payment associated with the type of outcomes that we can deliver and that pharmacists are an accessible healthcare provider who can really um, start to close some of those gaps in care. Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where we believe that quality measurement leads to better outcomes. Let us become your go-to source for all things related to quality and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals, and we will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. So buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. This is your host, Nick Dorich, and we welcome you back to the show. In June 2021, we are continuing our discussion on outcomes-based quality measures and the related opportunities that allows pharmacists to improve patient care. Last week, we were able to talk with Sarah Shetler, Clinical Program Lead, Quality Network at Humana, about their expanded hemoglobin A1C program. And this week, we are excited to have a representative from Kroger to talk about participating in this program that emphasizes outcome-based measures and how pharmacists can make a difference with hemoglobin A1C testing. Our guest today is Andrea Brookhart, PharmD, BCACP, Director of Clinical Programs at Kroger. Hello, Andrea, and welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Andrea, since you are new to the show, we'd like to start and get to know you. Uh, If you can give us a little bit about your background as a pharmacist, a little bit about your role uh, at Kroger, that would be a great place to start. Sure. I'm happy to to talk a little bit about that. I graduated from the University of Toledo. I am originally from Ohio. And after graduation, I did make my way to Virginia, where I was a a community-based pharmacy resident at Virginia Commonwealth University and Kroger. So I got started in my career at Kroger um, with my residency. I stayed on as a pharmacist, and then I worked at a district level before I joined the general office team in 2017. Once I got to the general office, I took a big focus in really quality measure performance and the types of clinical programs that we would build and support across all of our pharmacies. And I spent a few years in that role. Last year in 2020, I began in my current role as director of clinical programs. So I took on just a little larger role where we're leading clinical program development across both pharmacies and our little clinics and expanded to include chronic disease prevention and management in the portfolio of services that I cover. Excellent. Well, Andrea, thank you. Uh, I would I would note you're not the first alumni we've had from the University of Toledo. I'm sure you're not going to be the last. A lot of great pharmacists that have come out of that school. We're really excited to have you here today. And, and I think this conversation will come uh, be really great uh, from your perspective and what pharmacists can do going forward. Now, before we jump into our conversation for today's show, I do want to go over and, or provide an overview for our listeners of what comes next. 
There are three questions I have written down for us to explore. I'll go down the list and I'll ask the first question. Andrea, you'll respond and then we may have some back and forth to summarize the key points. We will repeat that process for the second and third questions and that will wrap up our primary content for the recording. We will have a little bit of a closing and summary and then that's gonna end the podcast. Now with that described, let's go ahead and we'll jump into question one. Andrea, question one is going to be pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, obviously, we've we've talked a little bit on the show and with PQS about outcomes-based measurement and hemoglobin A1C testing. And uh, Kroger obviously has had an opportunity to participate in such programs and, and to utilize your pharmacist in a role that is different and more advanced than what most people think of for a traditional community pharmacist role. Um, but from your perspective, what makes outcomes-based programs like this one so important for pharmacists to engage with? Well, my initial answer is really that this is just evidence that value-based care is real in pharmacy, that pharmacists really can contribute outside of the traditional Part D quality measures and even into a lot of those Part C or HEDIS measures. There's a lot of point-of-care testing that we can help support to monitor the chronic diseases that people have, including A1C testing, but also blood pressure type of monitoring. And we can evaluate the vaccine regimens that people have, close gaps in care related to pneumococcal vaccine or flu vaccine, and really just address a whole host of measures that are outside the context of those Part D traditional adherence and gaps in care measures. And pharmacists are really good at doing that. We've also got a lot of experience over the course of time trying smaller, more employer wellness type solutions uh, and that are really pharmacist led and help show evidence that we can manage and improve the health of populations within chronic disease state management. So I think that this program is a nice way to really just make it real that we can receive payment associated with the type of outcomes that we can deliver and that pharmacists are an accessible healthcare provider who can really um, start to close some of those gaps in care. Andrew, you mentioned a couple different services, right? So it's hemoglobin A1C and focus for this program is a big one, but you mentioned blood pressure, you mentioned point of care testing and some of the different details that are there. From from my standpoint, it's important to recognize pharmacy education and whether it's the PharmD program, but even, even for those more seasoned pharmacists, this kind of training and expertise already exists. And I think, you know, from that perspective, is that is that the untapped resource with pharmacy, right? The education's already there. It's just the implementation that has not existed. Partially, it's the implementation, and then it all goes back to the payment model. Certainly, we can do blood pressure testing. We do it regularly. We do a lot of cholesterol testing, too, in our pharmacies. We do have different type of arrangements, a lot of times with employer wellness uh, relationships that we deliver those things. We've had some things where Kroger Health has has donated screenings to support Heart Health Month in the month of February before, and we've done tens of thousands of screenings to uh, just improve the health of the communities that we serve. But it's programs like these where there is that payment on the other end, and it doesn't have to be a fee-for-service arrangement. It can be these, these types of things that are value-based where we say, we can take care of this population and here's how, and then pay us when we do a good job. I mean, that's the type of thing that's really been missing, but you're right. Pharmacists are trained. We're equipped. Uh, I think that the thing that ha has to happen is the payment model. And certainly then you have to have a staffing model that supports it. The approach that we take at Kroger is that 
you know, we staff you to do the work that you do, whether it's filling a prescription or providing a clinical service, those all contribute. But we in community pharmacy really need to realize that across the board, we have to recognize the type of work that's getting done in the pharmacy and then staff to support it. Thanks, Andrea. I'm going to move us to our second question now, because even as I was thinking about your response, my it, it, it was leading me right to our second question. So we're just going to dive into it, and I may expand upon this a little bit further. But you've mentioned how this is something that pharmacists can do and why it needs to be expanded for opportunities with pharmacists. But let's talk about the benefit for patients and overall community health. Certainly, we know that for many patients, the pharmacy in their local community is where they may receive many healthcare services. It's obviously where they're picking up their medication. But what's the benefit to the to the patient with these types of programs expanding? I think the real benefit to patients is that there's really that access to care. You know, I think it's something like 90% of Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy. You know, we at Kroger, we have 11 million people who walk through our door every day. And so when that happens, we've brought care to where you're naturally living, working, shopping for groceries in my case. And I think that that's the most important value. The other thing is that with that access to care comes the continuity of care because we can offer more of that longitudinal relationship. You know, I'm your local pharmacist. And when you come down the street and you have a question, I can support you. And the more that we create those relationships, which pharmacists already are doing all the time today, and tie those to the type of actual healthcare services that people are are needing, now you've unlocked more power in that pharmacist relationship with the patient because they trust us we can provide recommendations to help improve their care outside the context of just the medications and really across the spectrum of their healthcare needs. That leads me to my the question that I thought of in, in the first question, and this goes to the patient experience, right? A big part of this is going to be making sure that patients understand that they can receive and get some of these services from their local pharmacy. So it's not a surprise necessarily for the patient, or maybe at some point to say, oh, I can get my blood pressure tested at the pharmacy, or, oh, I can get a, uh, you know, a flu test at the pharmacy or many other things. And obviously the 2020 year showed that patients can get a lot of other tests at a pharmacy. But what, what do you think is the importance for that patient experience? And with the number of services offered at, say, a Kroger pharmacy, does that help patients become more comfortable when the next service or next opportunity comes around? It absolutely does. And I think when you think about the types of services that a pharmacy offers and the types of relationships they have with the people paying for that service, that's really where the power comes. So if you think about you know, a service that we might offer that's a convenience service, something like even strap or flu testing, we have a lot of folks who might come in to the pharmacies where we have that scope of practice and kind of pay cash because it's a retail health kind of a model. And that's great. So we can sort of market directly to our patient populations in that area to offer that kind of service because that's the way that those relationships work. But when you think about services like those we provided within this program or any value-based care arrangement, we in pharmacy need to partner with the payer to help inform their members, our patients, that we are offering a point of access for those given services. And, and so we can do that in a few ways. 
the payers can tell the patients directly. You know, they have membership outreach. They have all sorts of ways that they communicate with patients all the time. But also, we can integrate with payers so that pharmacies are proactively offering these services when patients are commonly just regular old walking into my pharmacy to get a prescription. And that's really where the power of this type of service comes in, because we can offer the services when and how the patient wants to receive them. And that's a really big deal. Yeah, it's a great advantage when you're, I mean, and I'm sure for these cases, you're able to schedule an appointment with the patient or a patient can do that on their own. But when they happen to be in the pharmacy on the Tuesday when they're doing their normal shopping and that may catch them at the right time. Certainly, I know from some of my experience working in a pharmacy, some of the best patient interactions came when you were simply having a conversation as Mrs. Smith or whatever generic name you want to choose for this example, comes in and is just happy to talk with someone that they know. And a lot comes out of those experiences. So being able to layer on the additional services and ways you can communicate with the patient along with the data that you're receiving creates a truly powerful partnership for the pharmacies, the pharmacist and the pharmacy that's operating, the patients that are receiving the care, but then also that health plan that's really working to manage the total health of that patient. So appreciate that extra detail, Andrea. And I do want to move us now along to our our third question. And so far, we've talked about why this program is important for pharmacists, why this program is important for patients. We've talked about how it can be beneficial for a health plan. Anytime there's a new program or a new service or implementation, there are surely barriers that can be presented. But a barrier is just that. It's a temporary stop or it's a temporary difficulty to to address. But ultimately, you have to get around it and you have to be successful with the program overall and overcoming that challenge or that barrier. Um, That's something your team has, has experienced and you've been successful with the program. What have you experienced as far as challenges and what has helped really for your team to be successful with these type of outcome-based uh, quality measure programs? Yeah, that's a great question. And we started on this journey quite a while ago at Kroger Health, and and <laughs> we took kind of the bull by the horns, I guess, in the early days to really draw a line in the sand and say, our pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, every one of them in every store across the country is going to be trained to provide the types of clinical services that we include in our portfolio. And we're not going to use our clinical specialists who might, you know, go here, there, and everywhere to service only on appointment basis. We're going to meet the patient where they are, again, offer care when and how they want it. And to do that, we have to have a staff who's equipped and educated across the board. So that's really step one, I think, is making sure that it's it's able to be scaled in a way that makes sense and offers, again, that access to care to the patient. And so to do that within Kroger, we went out and trained everybody a few years ago and kind of level set on our main services. And we called that clinical strong training. Um, and and that was a lot of fun for me because I, I got to be a part of the training. But I think it was all a lot of fun also for the team that I was a part of, the clinical programs team, to hear the feedback from our associates, both pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, about what it's like to try to offer these clinical services within a workflow in a busy pharmacy, to understand the types of barriers that they had related to, okay, well, what do I do if it's 5 p.m. and I got a line around the corner? And what do I do if I want to outreach this person because they're not just showing up to my pharmacy and so I can't just counsel them on adherence when they walk in the door? And how do I handle those those issues when somebody has a particular barrier to medication adherence? 
And oh, by the way, it's kind of inconvenient when I want to call somebody and say, hey, you're not adherent to your medication in the middle of their fill. You know, they got their medication 15 days ago. It doesn't make sense to call them the first time right now. And so we heard all sorts of feedback over the course of that training. Um, but the one thing that we've been trying to march toward based on some of the feedback we've gotten and the operational efficiencies that come with it is really taking in any kind of data that we can about the type of opportunities we have to serve patients, whether that be some we identify here in-house, some that we get from a partner like PQS via a payer, or whatever that may be. We take it into our system and then present it to be worked, whether it's on the patient profile or in our daily queue of work to do. We're kind of putting it out there in priority order and saying, this is the type of thing that you should take care of for this patient. And then, of course, we offer other ways for people to document the type of care that they might know someone needs that's outside of what we can see through the data. But integrating it into workflow is probably the biggest barrier that everybody has. And so to the extent that you can bring in the data from different data partners like we did with you and then present it in the way that they are used to providing clinical services, I think that was the key to our success, especially in a year like 2020 when COVID was big, because if we'd have said, you know, you have to go over here and do this thing, I just don't think it would have gotten done to the same extent. And so it's awesome to work with partners like PQS who are flexible enough to provide us the data so that we could serve it up in the way that our associates are used to seeing it. And it's great to have partners like Humana who are able to provide that extra insight into the data that we need to support the conversations that we have with patients to improve their diabetes management or to go get the A1C test they need. And so I think those are the, the key things that we've addressed, which is really that training piece. And in that comes all of those, how do I handle this in workflow? And then to the extent that pharmacy chains especially, but even, you know, independent pharmacies, their, their software systems, to the extent they can in integrate it into workflow, I think that's one barrier that if you can break that down, it just makes it all that much easier. So my key points from you, Andrea, one, data integration, two, pharmacist training, and three, addressing the patient really in a holistic way. Yeah. Uh, that's that's there. It becomes important. But you, you brought up a great example, right? When a patient for an adherence intervention, well, if they just picked up their their medication 15 days ago, that that to the patient, that's being adherent, right? Um, but you, what you need to be addressing, it's the pharmacist, if they're familiar and they have access to the data because it's integrated, if they have their clinical training, this may come up to a prompt, but the, the way it's presented to the pharmacist is that they need to use all of that to pivot to the right interaction. Uh, there's going to be some kind of script that's there for them to follow with that patient interaction, but they need to do some of the thinking on their own to get down to what's the real issue to identify, how do we solve that with this patient here and now, so that the next time that adherence intervention comes up in whatever system it is, um, it's, it's you know, that the patient, hey, that they are adherent. And yes, they are picking up their medication. That's that's a great point. And certainly have seen a lot of pharmacies working towards that. And you put it really succinctly that these are all coordinated efforts that need to occur uh, for the change of the pharmacy uh, practice and, and change for the profession. Uh, before we do close, Andrew, I do want to ask as well, 
we've talked in this with this Humana program, right? It's around hemoglobin A1C. And at the beginning of our chat today, you mentioned some other programs and some other services that pharmacists can provide. And I think you mentioned blood pressure, point of care testing. Um, just again, if you can reiterate around where there are other opportunities that you see where pharmacists can do more than medication dispensing, I think that'd be a great place for, for us to end with this primary discussion. Yeah. And I think I think this is a, a good one to think about because as we drill down and kind of peel back the layers of what all is possible, there's a lot that's possible, but what's the most important or or even just the low-hanging fruit of what pharmacists should and could be doing to help improve the health of the populations we serve? I think medication adherence is at the top. I mean, it's that's a passion of mine. It's something I really care about. You know, do I just forget to take it on a daily basis or do I forget to pick it up after I run out of it? You know, those are two different things with two different solutions. So pharmacists are trained to peel back the layers of the answer to that question and then treat the actual problem. And that's key. So medication adherence is a big one. We use our data analytics company, 8451. They're a wholly owned subsidiary of Kroger Co. And we use them to identify this across all sorts of populations and to then put those opportunities into our pharmacy dispensing system, which is really cool and unique, I think, um, for Kroger. But we also address gaps in care related to you know, the standards of care. So statin use in persons with diabetes, statin use in cardiovascular disease. And, and that's one where when you're partnering with a payer who has additional insight into the patient and, and not just what we have from a medication perspective, that can help you identify additional gaps in care. So again, integration with the larger healthcare ecosystem can help us there. Uh, but adherence, gaps in care, you know, adhering to asthma measures and those kinds of things are low-hanging fruit. Identifying vaccines, again, at COVID vaccine season, that's a really low-hanging fruit, especially now that co-administration is allowable with our COVID vaccines. We should use this as a huge opportunity to improve the health of the public by closing gaps in care related to vaccinations. And pharmacies report to vaccine registries all over the United States. So that's a big deal to help um, improve the data that the country has, the CDC has about those types of things. And also, I think to, to the extent that we can document what we do and start to integrate again with a larger healthcare ecosystem, that's where we start to really tease out additional value. So interoperability, especially using pharmacist e-care plan, figuring out how can we integrate with other providers to make that data not only available to them, but ingested in their system in a meaningful way where it's actionable. I think there's a huge opportunity there. Um, and then using eCare plan, of course, as well with with payers to just prove the value of what we do. So I think those are the things at the top of my mind uh, of what we can do outside of you know what we already talked about with with point of care testing and and disease management. If that's just the top of the mind, Andrea, I, I'm I'm somewhat reluctant to go further because I think we hit on a lot of topics there. Uh, but to your point, it brings up just how versatile the pharmacist can be for providing care to the patient and how underutilized the pharmacist still is for these sorts of programs. And it sounds like for, for yourself, your team at Kroger and for the pharmacist at Kroger, that there's a lot of things that are going on, but that through that 
integration through that training and through that holistic approach for patient care that the the group is well presented and and in a great position to continue a focus on patient care here and now in 2021 but then also going forward and again i want to say as we do close here for our primary questions i want to thank you i want to thank the kroger team for uh, joining with today. want to uh, congratulate you as well for your team's uh, success and participation with Humana's A1C uh, program with pharmacies and certainly uh, wish you nothing but continued success and expansion with that going forward. Uh, but now with our primary discussion closed for today. I do we do transition to a bit of a different question. And Andrew, there's a lot of different topics that we could we could go into. Uh, but I, I do want to note one particular item around your start of your career post pharmacy school that being community pharmacy residency and you did that through uh, a collaboration with kroger and obviously have stayed with the organization so i take it your community pharmacy residency experience went pretty well uh, i have said before on the show i'm a big advocate for that kind of training despite myself not having done one but still respect those opportunities and think it's a great opportunity for post graduate experience for a pharmacist so i'd like to hear from you what was the advantage of working in that kind of program, how it set you up for success, and for a current or prospective resident, why they would be a great fit for a community pharmacy residency program? Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for community pharmacy residency. It's it's definitely the thing that allowed me to have the job I have today, especially at this time in my career. But during my community residency, I did. I had a great experience. I loved working for Kroger Health, and I'm really proud to work with the type of pharmacists who I worked with in residency in Virginia, but also those who are, you know, in all of our stores today. The type of patient care they provide, I mean, it's what makes it, it's what makes community pharmacy what it is. And so that's what really drew me to my residency and then kept me at Kroger after my residency. But I think the value of community re residency as I talk to prospective community residents or current community residents is really just like the depth and breadth of experience that you can get in compressed into one year. I mean, it's crazy how much you can you can absorb if you're given the exposure to all of these different types of thing and, uh, and opportunities to delve into a research project and to create a business plan for a new or enhanced service and to challenge yourself to think through um, quality improvement in a way that's you know unique and different, especially than the previous residents at your program, especially at a longstanding program like VCU. <laughs> It's all been done before. And so you do, you have to think creatively. You can learn from past residents and the types of projects that they put in place and, and partner with, you know, the university that you're working with and the pharmacy that you're working in to really figure out where is the company going? What do they need? What are the needs of my patients? And do those kinds of needs assessments. That's the stuff that gets me excited about community pharmacy residencies going through that process and thinking through all of the different facets of a business plan or a quality improvement project that sets you up to be able to you know go into a clinical program development kind of role someday in your career so that is really powerful the other thing i'll just say to community residents out there today or prospective community residents is that coming into a role like i currently have straight out of residency just probably isn't the right answer. Working out in the field for a while to, you know, flex those muscles to see what it's like and to develop the experience that you get by managing a pharmacy 
is a huge benefit to you later in your career if you go through that. And so I did come out of residency and work as a pharmacist first before I worked at the district level, before I came to uh, the general office. And, and that was kind of the trajectory of my career that I, I really draw on that experience still today. And so I would just tell them that that's something that I, I would just encourage you to want and to go get, because I think that that will set you up for success in the future. Yeah, the the journey and the experience along the way really matter a lot to how it shapes your your future and how you're working as a pharmacist, right? It's uh, certainly there's a lot of things that pharmacists can do, and we need pharmacists that are in more more and different roles that are out there. But having that experience behind the bench still matters. Having walked and talked in those shoes, but Andrea, great point. Thank you for sharing your your knowledge and your experience with the community pharmacy residency programs. Again, as as you had said. Uh, your program with Kroger and Virginia Commonwealth uh, University, correct, as well. So anybody who wants to check out that program with VCU, special shout out for them. Uh, but with that, um, I will now go ahead and close. Andrea, before we do, any final words that you have? And then, and, and then in addition, if anybody wants to contact you, what's the best way to reach you? I don't think I have anything else to add. This was a fun conversation today, Nick. I know you and I know each other from around the world and in our professional lives, but it was fun to to talk in this capacity. And I think if people want to find me, they can find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm probably the only Andrea Brookhart. But to to throw back to one thing you said earlier, my main name is Smith. So the proverbial Mrs. Smith, or in my case, Dr. Smith out there, I was that person for, for a minute. Um, but Andrea Brookhart on LinkedIn, I think, is the way you can reach me. Understood. I'll use a different generic name for future <laughs> references that's there and, and have that part going. But yeah, Andrea, thanks again for today's chat. Uh, I would say if, if you're anyone that's out there that's trying to learn more around clinical pharmacy, pharmacy operations, again, community pharmacy residency, we know that there's faculty members and students as well that listen to this show. Andrea is a great resource having gone through those experiences as well. So Andrea, I hope folks do reach out to you, but uh, from your conversation today, it sounds like you're pretty busy uh, in your day job. <laughs> so hopefully they don't keep, they don't keep you too much busy on top of that. But well, with that, we will now wrap up our content for today's episode. And we are going to be continuing this talk around outcomes-based quality measures for the next couple episodes still. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how other pharmacists and those in the pharmacy profession are continuing to push this work. So if you have not already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you have a question or topic, please let us know. If you have a topic or if you would like to come on the show and talk about something, you can contact us at info at pharmacyquality.com or you can DM us directly on Twitter at Pharmacy Quality. With that, I appreciate you listening to the Quality Corner show. And there is one final message from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes, and we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address, so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members, and we wish all of you listeners out there well.